Where are you? My office. I just have it set up differently oh. because I'm. Am I, I still haven't ordered ink, so I'm reading it off my actual that makes monitor. Sense. I was and like, where are there bare walls? I feel like you don't have bare walls in here. The house. one right behind me is gray. Yeah. Um, I think I just have an old laptop, so the computer looks weird. Anyways, welcome to three, a true crime pod. Uh, <laughs> welcome to three, a true crime podcast hosted by three sisters. So I'm going to be telling the story today, and my name is Taylor. And I'm B. And I'm Madison. <laughs> And I want a little bit different today. I don't know if you two have ever heard of it, but we're going to be talking about the Cold War Berlin Romeos. Wow. No, I haven't. This is a history lesson. I kept it very brief. (laughs) I I kept the history part very brief because some of it is tedious. Isn't that what this podcast is? Kind of history. I I mean, everything that happened happened in the past, I guess, that we talk about. It gets real funny when we try to get into history lessons, though. But that why my Russian guy, uh, Alexander Pachuskin, he was, that was rough to listen back to me trying to explain to y'all the. <laughs> yeah, so like it can get tedious. So I decided to kind of cut it down. It's like two short paragraphs, just to kind of set the the, the image in your head of what's going on at this time. I appreciate it. Okay, so <laughs> thank you. After what. <laughs> After World War II, the Soviet Union um, began to occupy East Germany and installed a rigidly controlled communist state. This is going to be around the beginning of the Cold War. The other three allies um, with West Germany, the United States, France, and Great Britain, shared the occupation of West uh, Germany, and they were helping to rebuild the country as a capitalist democracy. Of course we this- were. <laughs> What we do, man. <laughs> what year was this? So the Cold War, I just actually pulled it up. So World War II ended in, hold on. I literally just read this. So World War II ended in 1995 and the Cold War. 95. 1945, 90. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a war right before I was born. <laughs> and this year. Okay, so it's going to, yeah, so, and then, so it ended in 45, and then the Cold War started in 47 and lasted until 1991. So the city of Berlin was located 200 miles inside of East Germany, but it was divided. Half of the city, West Berlin, was actually part of West Germany. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, it made me almost think of Madison's episode with Texarkana, like kind of like, it's like split kind of down the middle. So shortly after midnight on August 13th, 1961, East German soldiers began laying down barbed wire and bricks as a barrier between the Soviet-controlled East Berlin and the democratic Western section of the city. Armed troops from the Eastern side manned the crossing points between the two sides, and by morning, a ring of Soviet troops surrounded the entire city. Overnight, the freedom to pass between the two sections of Berlin ended. The wire was soon replaced by a six-foot-high, 96-mile-long wall of concrete blocks, complete with guard towers, machine gun posts, and searchlights. East German officers, known as, it's the German word, but they go by the Volpos, I think is how you pronounce it, the Mm -hmm. Volpos, patrolled it day and night. So this wall, it ran across cemeteries, along canals, it zigzagged, uh, zigzagged through city streets. The Berlin Wall um, is said to be a chilling symbol of the Iron Curtain that divided all of Europe between communism and democracy. Yeah, and Berlin, you, but, go I was going to say, all I have to do is look back on history of why it's not a, 
historically building walls is not a good idea and does not <laughs> fucking work. And certain people think it's a good idea and they all kind of have the same ideology. Yeah. The people yeah. who want to build the walls. And the people on the other side are kind of like, we don't even fucking want you over here anyway. Stay on this <laughs> side of the wall. Put a wall up, you idiots. <laughs> Stay, Stay out, please. <laughs> Uh, so Berlin was really at the heart of the Cold War. Neither side trusted the other, and they were both anxious to know what the other was con- conspiring on their, you know, separate parts of this wall. Now, because of the uh, because of World War II, many women of marrying age had taken jobs in business, government, parliament, the military, and even the intelligence services within West Germany, and they often had access to highly classified government secrets. A big consequence of uh, World War II was that there was a huge shortage of eligible young men. And so we just got a lot of single West German women eager for male companionship right now in the Cold War. So income. Listen, listen. (laughs) Fuck y'all. Who called what article called them eager? (laughs) (laughs) At least I didn't say desperate, I guess. Go fuck yourself. They they say it themselves. Okay. (laughs) I think that. The ratio was like seven women to a man. Like it was we, hard to. Oh man! But what thing? I mean, World War II. How many men died, and the yeah. women stayed back and took. They took control of everything. They were working these higher end jobs that typically men had, and the men. I mean, a lot of the men were wiped out. Yeah, get a loudspeaker. Listen, some of y'all gonna have to jump this wall. <laughs> <laughs> Send the good ones. All right. So they're eager for the male companionship. Incomes are above, please. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so incomes Marcus Wolf. Western officials have referred to him as the man without a face because they weren't able to identify him for decades. Wolf was born in Germany, but he actually grew up in Moscow, where he learned the tradecraft of spying. He uh, returned to Germany, and at the age of 30, he became the chief of the Foreign Intelligence Division of the Stasi, East Germany's Ministry for State Security. Now, the Stasi, again, I'm not going to claim to know everything. The Stasi was actually modeled along the lines of the Soviet KGB. And like I said, I'm not going to say I know everything, but I have read Tom Rob Smith novels with Leo, Mm -hmm. who was a KGB officer who flipped. It's not a good thing to be. The KGB well, I was is not say, good. So he's not a good guy. <laughs> he's not a good guy. Okay. Um, if you want a good idea of what's kind of going on, to put it into reference today, Putin once worked for the KGB as a foreign intelligence officer from seventy-five until ninety-one. Yeah. The KGB is not tight butthole. Fair <laughs> <laughs> list. Fair list butthole. Allegedly, in case they're listening, Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, anywho, Marcus Wolf, his mission was to infiltrate West Germany's political, military, and security institutions. His weapon of choice was men. So, sexpionage is the involvement of sexual activity or the possibility of sexual activity, intimacy, romance, or seduction to conduct espionage. Sex or the possibility of possibility of sex can function as a distraction, incentive, cover story, or unintended part of any intelligence operation. This is also referred to as a honey trap. Oh my gosh. When you first said sexpionage, I was like, that's an unfortunate name. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, it sounds like exactly what it is. Spycraft talking about someone. Spycraft is crazy. So anyways, sexpionage. (laughs) Um, A former assistant FBI director, I just threw this in because it's a good quote. He said, he stated, the use of sex is a common practice among intelligence services all over the world. This is a tough, dirty business. We have used that technique. We've used that technique against the Soviets, and they've used it against us. <laughs> so is evil. <laughs> a dark... <laughs> he's, it's, it's like it sounds like he's just like I mean, I'm gonna turn it down. <laughs> I mean, rascals. it's serious. Like I feel like a good way. I, I mean, they're good at tricking people i like i don't i don't know where i'm going with this like have have you guys watched the americans it's so fucking interesting it's exactly what it is is it's two kgb spies who come to america and it's like you would never guess that they were russian spies and they do all these kinds of things to get intel for russia and i'm not explaining it well it's a it's it's a, a fantastic show but it's like that in real life. It's probably like your books in real life too. It's exciting to hear. I, I'm into it. Yeah, mom is really mom and dad are super big into the Americans as well. You all it's are so good. I like the main guy who plays in it. I haven't gotten into it though. I should. Okay, so as evil as Wolf's idea was, it was actually pretty genius. A quote by a woman um, whose last name is Clem, who we'll talk about later. Quote: It was impossible to find a boyfriend, and if you found one, almost impossible to keep him. The stakes were very high. The competition was enormous. The ratio of men to women was just really ridiculous in this time. Like I said, I think it was like seven to eight women to one man. Like it was like if you that if you're sucks. heterosexual and you want a man, it's it's pretty difficult. Well, I don't know about the you laws have over there. I know they have way they have like way different laws than we do. I don't know what it was like then at the time. But even if you weren't heterosexual, you may not have even been able to act on or felt like you were able to act on. You had mm-hmm. like no choice, really. Right. And what I was reading, a lot of them felt very lonely. The women who were married, um, the women were like jealous of the fact that like they, you know, had a husband and they it was written like, oh, they spent their lonely nights alone thinking about their girlfriends who were home with their husband and about to burn their second sad. child. And I'm like, it is sad because, I mean, if that's truly what they wanted, there was no, there were no men around. Yeah. So we can take some pretty- of ours. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send a few you can have. <laughs> we don't hate you. We promise that you can have them. <laughs> they said But yeah, so his plan was pretty ingenuitive. So he came up with the Romeo spies. In his mind, they were a very cost-effective way to steal secrets. Wolf believed that one woman with the right access and motivation could provide more intelligence than 10 male diplomats. Mm -hmm. But not everyone could be a Romeo spy. There was a rigorous screening process that weeded out 99% of the candidates. Most of those chosen were between 25 and 35 years old. They were well-educated and had good old-fashioned manners, which many women found irresistible. <laughs> the men selected for this program uh, were trained in espionage and given false, uh, false identities, but they were identities of deceased citizens or immigrants. So they would put their photos on these people's documents and they looked completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I can't find the tab that I had open, but I did read from a couple of different places that these men were actually sent to a literal espionage college where they studied applied psychology. They had extensive discussions of the female anatomy, how to approach a woman, effective conversation techniques, and listening with empathy was also a, an important technique. What so they like to go to clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> They've, uh, they learned at that college. Wouldn't it be like the equivalent of their CIA? Yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah, they're like the yeah. secret, the secret police. Yeah, the Stasi. Um, so they weren't really sent over without a specific goal. Okay, they did ha- each have specific targets. So before finding these women in person, the communist Romeo spies would use other spies to research about these targeted women. They could be secretaries, translators, public administrators, personal clerks, com- uh, communication assistants, and even technicians. They would know their interests, their hobbies, their beliefs, and their customs before they ever even met them. They would know more than most boyfriends would in the first year of dating them. That's scary. The spies would know how they planned their day, what their habits were, and even what kind of music they liked. Ew. It's like having a robot boyfriend. Um, I would hope my boyfriend of a year would know those three things. I mean, yes, I know, but there are certain things, I mean, that you could ask your partner and like, oh, yeah, I guess she, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. They knew a lot right off the bat that like, yeah, in a normal relationship, a lot of these things take time to learn about your partner. Yeah. And you kind of learn them as you go. It's not like you go on one date and you know every single thing about a person. Oh. Um, Marion Quarian, Quarian, I don't know if I'm saying her last name right, but she was an author who wrote about the Stasi Romeos. Um, it, it was originally published in German, but the English translation is Agents, Why Women Spied for the East. It describes how they chose their targets. Quote, perhaps she had been left by her boyfriend or her mother had recently died or she didn't have many friends. When the Romeo approached her, he already knew everything about her, her likes, her dislikes and her history. One to- one woman told me that the agent who approached her knew that she was really interested in uh, the environment and herbalism. And after two days, he was calling her his little herb witch. So they got to the point pretty quickly. So it's just like he knew Ooh, how to he knew aw, how to talk to her. That's so sad, though. <clears throat> that's what I'm going to make my boyfriend start calling me the little herb witch. <laughs> <laughs> it's cute, and that's why they got to the point pretty quickly. She she liked the man. Maddie's giving me a little bar wench, <laughs> a little beer wench. Hello, <laughs> cute, <laughs> cute, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> So in the course of her research, Corin, I'm just going to say Corin for now, Q-U-O-I-R-I-N, Corin, Curin, Curin, Corin. Oh, that's a good one too. (laughs) Anyways, this young, this woman (laughs) was struck by how ordinary, even physically not very attractive some of the Stasi Romeos were. Quote, the women definitely weren't going for good looks. It was the old fashioned manners, flowers, whining and dining. And most importantly, these men knew how to listen to the women. Men often don't. So that was very attractive. And sex really didn't even play a major role. It was like they were just enjoying this attention because they're just surrounded by women 24-7. So. And hey, like hanging out with them. Yeah, I mean, I've mm-hmm. never been a big has to be all looks person. Yeah, I never really find someone attractive until I start talking to them that's just how right not that that has anything to do with that body over there (laughs) (laughs) well yeah of course but i mean yeah 
people become more attractive. The, that's why it's so sad because they no, get got. They are getting got. It is sad. So Gerard Bayer, I think I'm saying that right as well, was one of the more striking Stasi agents. He worked in West Germany for nearly 20 years before the Berlin Wall came down. Quote, I was fulfilling my patriotic duty and it wasn't unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) He would have four or five cases going on at one time. Quote, I prioritized those I had the best chance of getting information from and kept the others on a fairly long lead. End quote. Oh my God. So they're just like, don't, aren't these women getting together like, and being like Madison, he, no, I'm his herb witch. He loves herbs. And then Madison's like, he told me he likes puzzles. Like, what is, you know what I mean? Like what? I think that when I was reading this, I was kind of thinking the same thing, but um, I believe the area, like the area was much larger than what we're thinking. It's not like all of a sudden 20 men came to to our city. Yeah, because that's and we're doing this. It was if people half a country. Everyone would be like, where the hell did you come from? We have a big ass wall. Like where (laughs) why are all of y'all all all of a sudden showing up? Like a boat pulled in. They have half of Germany is essentially where any of these explained that they a vast area. Uh, Yes. Um, a lot of them did go towards Bonn, Germany, which was like one of the bigger areas where women were doing more confidential work. But Mm -hmm. again, it's like think even if you're thinking of think DC and if I meet a man, I'm not going to know that the woman across even a couple blocks over, met, yeah. met the same man. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about, so the woman who had the quote about um, how it was a fierce competition, her last name is Kleem, Um, And she's the one who's come forward um, in like come forward publicly with her experience a lot more than the other women. And a lot of this is from the guardian and the history of yesterday. And this is kind. This is her story, um, kind of cut down a little bit. So in July 1977, Clean um, was in Bonn, the city I was just talking about, sitting on the banks of the Rhine River while she waited for a friend when a tall, blue-eyed stranger approached her. This man introduced himself as Frank Dietzel, a physicist working for a Munich-based peace research institute, but he was, in fact, Rudolf Reck, a laboratory manager from Rostock in the employ of the Stasi. He was also a Romeo on a mission to seduce Gabrielle Kleen, the 32-year-old translator and interpreter at the American embassy in Bonn. Beforehand, a Stasi scout had befriended one of Kleen's friends and found out that she was once in love with a blonde, blue-eyed math teacher, which is why they chose Frank Dietzel to approach her. Oh, that's evil. Also, that wouldn't work on me. I'd be like, you look like my ass. Get the fuck up yeah. out of here. <laughs> Bye. <This> weird. <laughs> So they soon became engaged. I think it took only about three months. And Gabrielle Kleem wanted to share her happiness by introducing her new fiance to her friends. But Frank Dietzel insisted on only meeting her alone in hotels um, every couple of weeks where they would spend a couple of days together. And his excuse was always that he's a busy physicist and he's working for towards peace at, you know, wherever he is. Mm-hmm. It's sketchy, but, you know. In the intervening uh, periods between meetings, he wouldn't really contact her and never really gave her an address or contact details. It was always like he would call her. And when Kleem insisted on knowing more about his life, he had threatened to leave her. So she kind of like desisted. It kind of seemed like it was, I don't know, this weird power, abusive power play kind of going on. Throughout their seven year engagement. (laughs) That that, that escalated quickly. (laughs) 
she was asked to take photos of the documents at the American embassy. And she agreed to do it. And she handed over information for six years, including training plans for tanks and guns. The file shows that the Stasi was using her as a false flag project, meaning that she believed that she was giving the information to a Western agency. So the false flag project was big in the East to implement on the West, where they were sending these men in and they believed that they were giving this information to a Western man mm-hmm. who is working for global peace. And on their side, yeah. On our, our, on our side. And they have the documentation that looks like they are from this yeah. area and they have the backstory. So to keep her in the relationship, Frank Dietzel repeatedly promised to marry her and would outline this, you know, beautiful life with a child of her own that she, you know, she really wanted. But Romeo's spies were warned um, and basically told absolutely not, do not marry their assets, even if they develop genuine feelings for them, which many of them did, because Mm -hmm. West German authorities conducted background investigations of anyone seeking marriage to a government employee with access to classified files. Mm -hmm. So these women have the access. And if they're trying to get married, the Western government is going to research that person they're trying to marry. And no one's putting these puzzle pieces together, maybe after like a year or two, but six seven years years, i'm like i'm out bruh yeah it's not just me (laughs) something else is going on it's time for an ultimatum so one day curiosity overwhelmed clean and she drove to munich to locate the international peace institute where he said that you know he worked but he she couldn't locate her fiance's workplace the stress of secrecy was starting to mount and in 1984 the couple had a big blowout at a restaurant in innsbruck ski resort in August uh, 1984, after over seven years together, Gabrielle Kleem broke up with Frank Dietzel because he had again canceled a wedding date that they had set because he's refusing to marry her. I so finally, worry. after seven years, she's like, OK, enough is enough. So a lot of the women, there were a lot of women charged um, later on, and she was one of them. And she was taken to trial for espionage in 1996 because of the hundreds of documents she had turned over to yeah. her fiance. It was only during the trial that she learned that during these long, beautiful weekends she spent with her husband going shopping, that mostly everything he had gotten was given to his actual wife in East Germany. So she would be helping him pick out like a beautiful picture for his home. And it was actually he was bringing it home to his real wife. More shocking was the revelation that he had passed all of her love letters to him to the Stasi psychologist. Quote, they would sit and read and laugh and analyze and see how they could hurt me some more. To them, I was just a laboratory rat or worse. And to him, I was just a tool. Oh, that breaks my heart. That is so mm-hmm. sad. Um, I love letters. Not my personal thoughts. <laughs> I know. That's yeah. sad. It is sad. So Dietzel, the fiance, he actually died in a car crash in the early 90s, some years before Kleem's trial. And even more heartbreaking, she learned during her trial that in 1984, he had been awarded a Patriotic Order of Merit in bronze for his service as a Romeo. So he won an award for tricking her. Is how it is. I hate <laughs> this <sad>. guy. <laughs> Seven years? Uh-oh. Quote from Kleem. Uh, I would have never consented to a relationship if I had known that he was East German. My father died in a Russian camp at the end of the world, uh, at the end of the war. I grew up in Berlin and we hated anything Russian or East German. And Frank Dietzel knew that. So 
Claim says that she does not think of herself as a traitor. She was driven by love and not politics. The court that tried her in 1996 handed down a suspended sentence and fined her, so she didn't have to do any jail time. She was lucky because in the years before the wall came down, tons of women spent years in jail for similar crimes. Um, Gabrielle gassed due to her spying in the high government circles. She ended up serving six years and nine months in prison. Um, Kleem says that she doesn't blame Dietzel for what happened. If it hadn't been him, they would have sent somebody else. Firstly, I blame Germany. There were two systems, two people with the same language, and you would never know that the other was the enemy. And then I blame myself to wait and long for a man. If I hadn't given him that power over me, he couldn't have done it. So today, Kleem lives alone in the uh, Netherlands. She's unwilling to stay in a country where she suffered so much heartache. Now approaching 60, she spends much of her time selling clothes at craft fairs and looking after abandoned dogs. Oh, <laughs> I don't I feel bad for her. Oh, what a sweetheart. I mean, you couldn't, I couldn't stay there either because, I mean, her dad died in a camp right. there and then that happened. Yeah, I did. She got food. She was played like a fool. She was, she was bamboozled. Bamboozled. She was bamboozled. I feel bad for her. I want to buy her. What does she make? I want to buy her crafts. Selling she, clothes at a craft fair. Oh, clothes. She, she got to buy them. Yeah, where she? <laughs> Send us that Instagram handle. <laughs> I don't know if she has one. She's a little older. All right. So many of the approximately 30 to 50 women spying for their Romeos face some kind of prosecution after the fall of Berlin. Nevertheless, because of the judgment of the Federal Constitutional Court in 1995, it specified that the GDR-based operatives could not face prosecution for their foreign assignments. And those were the Romeos, and so they could expect a lot more leniency. A lot of them weren't charged for tricking someone. I mean, technically, I, I guess they didn't commit a crime in their country. It's like a weird... I want that gif. <laughs> Um, and a lot of the women, I mean, they may have been, it says, victims of Cupid's arrow, but they weren't entirely innocent. I can't imagine that all of these women thought that they were trading over secrets for somebody who. No, not guy. all of them were bamboozled. Yeah. Some of them were totally like knew, would have known or maybe and maybe not even doing it completely willingly. They could have been strong armed <laughs> into doing it as well. <laughs> but Right. And something held against them to be able to do it. Yeah. Like blackmailed. Um, and several of the couples actually, um, as we learned later on, several of the couples actually did fall in love. They endured the charade and they went on to get married and start new lives after the fall of the Berlin Wall. So the Mrs. East Smith, baby. Mm-hmm. I thought this would be a little bit longer. I guess mine's a little shorter, Che. I'm sorry, you guys. I meant you to make it a little apologize. longer. That's fine. It's very interesting. Uh, I didn't know about this. And there's more that I could go into, but it does get very confusing because it is an international like mm-hmm. when it comes to like the Soviet Union and things like that, some of it can get a little bit confusing. Um, like I said, I'd like to say I understand it all, but I don't. Um, but in uh, September 1990, shortly before the German reunification, Wolf, um, the mastermind, he's called like the mastermind of spies. He fled the country and sought political asylum in Russia and Austria. When denied, he returned back to Germany, where he was arrested by German police. Wolf claimed to have refused an offer of a large amount of money, a new identity with plastic surgery to change his features, and a home in California from the Central Intelligence Agency to defect to the United States. I don't know if he ever actually got this offer. 
we would never know that, <laughs> but <laughs> the CIA would never tell us if that was an offer. He claims but, that the CIA offered him complete facial, re- a lot of money, plastic surgery, and a home in California. Maybe. So in 1993, he, he was convicted of treason by the, I cannot pronounce this, Oberlin Gesserdorfeldorf. Mm, sounds nice. nice. Per- perfect. <laughs> Kate would be so mad at me. <laughs> she would laugh. Uh, but he was sentenced to six years imprisonment. And this was later actually quashed by the German Supreme Court because West Germany was a separate country at the time. So he, it was like West Germany became real Germany again. And now this West Germany doesn't even really exist. It was kind right, of so like how a can weird you charge it for. Yeah. I felt when countries dissolve, mm-hmm. there's like, yeah, there's so many crazy, crazy stories in that instance. It seems like people don't really know what to do because it doesn't often happen. So like when it does, it's like, well, now we can't charge them for things. We can't, you know, it's kind of a weird shaky ground to like be on when a country does dissolve. It reminds me of that Tom Hanks movie where he gets stuck in the airport for like a couple years. It like oh, it's I a watched real that the other day. You it's mean a the real one where life stuck on an island? <laughs> no, an airport. It's a real life story. So this guy was taking a flight and I forget which country he left, but he left his country, right? He's on a plane. He lands in an airport. He's like going back to his country, but the country was dissolved and it no longer existed literally like overnight. And Tom Hanks, the character, this was a real life man. He wasn't allowed to leave the airport because he didn't have, his passport was not valid because his country was no longer a country and this real life man had to live he lived in the fucking airport for like a year until someone noticed that he He was like living there it was a real life man stay where he was he couldn't leave the airport they pretty much told him if he stepped out of the airport he would be arrested is what from my understanding because he was like an illegal he was like illegally wherever the fuck he was i'm Taylor watched it more recently than me. But yeah, I mean, it just reminds me of things like that. Governments don't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. It's a, Something should how, be What do we charge you with? <laughs> yeah. This is your home now. Yeah. You live in the fucking airport now, dude. Uh, Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. Maybe. So in 1997, he was then convicted of unlawful detention, coercion, and bodily harm, and was given a suspended sentence of two years in prison imprisonment, which I believe he served. Um, he did die in his sleep at his Berlin home on um, November 2006. And I just wanted to end it with a quote of his because I just, he wrote an autobiography before he died. And I read a little bit of it and read some quotes from it. But I, for, uh, yes, it was a terrible thing to do, but I also, it's really hard to, not to like him and his personality. So he wrote, end quote, The ends do not always justify the means we choose to employ. But as long as there is espionage, there will be Romeos seducing unsuspecting Juliets with access to secrets. After all, I was running an intelligence service, not a lonely hearts club. End quote. So he just does that. (laughs) So they, yeah, they just went in. No regrets. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) And it's just crazy. I didn't get too into detail about how certain things were done. But I mean, these women would essentially have, it wasn't just a Romeos. They would have handlers um, who 
really set things up like the one woman, the other Gabrielle, not um, not the one we've been talking about. She had written how every couple of weeks she would meet in the women's bathroom at her work with an Eastern uh, East German woman and they would um, exchange empty deodorant deodorant things with information inside of them. So they yeah. wouldn't talk. They would just she would hand her a deodorant bottle and she would walk out with it. Other women would have secret patches sewn into their their baggage and things like that. Um, it gets, it's pretty, it's just, I just thought it was a very interesting topic and something we haven't done. Espionage. I love that. I want to watch the Americans again. Now that shit is exciting. Maybe I'll have to look into it. I feel like romantic romanticism is probably the easiest way. Like don't pat yourself on the back too fucking hard wolf. Like romance is the easiest way to convince or trick someone into doing something that you want them to do. I agree in my that. opinion, like that's the easiest way you could have gotten information. And they did more messed up stuff. So the other woman, Gabrielle, I think that this was her. She was a very um, stout Catholic. And the men, man that she was dating since he refused to marry her, she she had said that, you know, we aren't going to go further sexually or anything like that. And, you know, I've been stealing these things and I kind of want to repent to God. I haven't done confession for a while. And he had said, OK, I'll go ahead and bring in a priest. So he brought in this priest. I don't have it quote for quote. This priest that was actually an East German (laughs) Stasi um, came in and told her that she was forgiven for all of her sins and that she um, can go on giving secrets that God has forgiven her for it or something (laughs) along those lines. So they definitely it was like complete manipulation all around the board. And a lot, like I said, a lot of the actual gentlemen who did it were not charged, but a lot of the women did spend time in jail. Not a ton. I mean, it was like a couple years for one lady couple, it wasn't like life sentences or anything like that, but they definitely had to serve time for handing over documents to people that they trusted. Well, yeah. Cause crazy. I mean, they are assholes, but they're technically not doing anything illegal. Yeah. I mean, I can it's ask Taylor women. to go mm-hmm. rob a gas station and if she does it, I'm not like, I feel like yeah, you're not in trouble. I could probably <laughs> get in trouble for it in some way, but it's not the same thing as right. actually physically physically doing it yeah yeah damn well that was i thought that was very interesting thanks i want to do a little bit more i just have a lot going on right now i was expecting it to be probably another 10 to 15 minutes longer i had another story that i went throw in but then when i was looking at it on here i was like it's it's getting pretty long but i guess it wasn't you did a good job i thought i find it very interesting it is I was going to say, plus today is Channing's birthday, so it's nice to edit something shorter anyway, because I got to do a bunch of stuff later, so it works out for everybody. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Said something a little different that I feel like we haven't really done before, so I was excited to jump into it. And I think we'll be back next week with what, Maddie's episode? Is Maddie next? Mm -hmm. It's Maddie's turn. Should I? Are you doing, do you know what you're doing? Or is it another surprise? It's going to be a big old surprise. (laughs) I think I know what I'm doing next. Okay. And if, I'm if excited. Don't t- I can't take it. Is it Ken and Barbie? No. Okay, but thank God. It's something that I had, <laughs> it's something that I had never heard of, but it's pretty recent and it's very interesting because it's going to end up being two episodes, but not for the reasons that you think it'll be two episodes. And that's all I'm gonna say. They gonna figure it out in two weeks. Why? Because is it to be mm. determined? No, it's not to be determined unless I change oh. my mind about what it's gonna be, because you know, there's too much time for me to stick to one story, but Right now, that's the plan. (laughs) 
Perfect. We'll be back next week. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye.